This is Sasha Benjamin Fink having a conversation with Talk Popsy's resident philosopher Andrew at Lincoln Terrace Park in Brooklyn. It is September 2019. Hello. Um, this is the Talk Popsy podcast. Um, I am uh, filling the role of the resident philosopher today. Uh, my name is Andrew Rubner, and I am having a conversation with Sasha Benjamin Fink. Hello. Hi. Nice to meet you, Andrew. And uh, Sasha is visiting us from East Germany at... Yeah, the Otto von Guericke University of Magdeburg. That's where I'm currently at. Sounds and awesome. At the moment, I'm doing a short stint at the NYU. So, yeah, so I'm a junior professor for neurophilosophy. That's what my job title is. Awesome. <laughs> kind of right in between everything. How about you, Andrew? <laughs> I'm a PhD candidate at Rutgers University um, uh -huh. in my starting my second year. So I'm in my second year. So pre-dissertation phase. Awesome. And what are we doing here? Uh, today we'll be talking about art and cognition. Cool. Like so, it. Yep. Cool topic. So maybe we should get clear on what we're talking about. So we have two seemingly disparate things in our hands. We have art and we have cognition on one hand. So maybe... We can kind of get some like intuitions about what those things are, maybe just from our plain language practices or just out in the ordinary and then like how we can maybe persistify those topics to be more useful for a conversation about them. So do you have any ideas about how you would go about defining art just off the cuff? Whoa, <laughs> I thought just, you know, like, let's start maybe a little bit about the intersection between art and cognition, like really just defining your, your idea of <laughs> art is desperately certainly going to fail i think but even if it um, even if it does fail which no doubt i think you're right that you're never going to get a great you're never going to get like the correct definition of art it's good just to have i think that there's if you went out and you asked a man in the street what is art i think that he'll give you an answer i don't yeah, think that he'll right. balk at you but here's thing, something that i think is something to you know take apart i mean there's always this kind of, well, this isn't art, right? This kind of stance <laughs> yeah, yeah. where you see something that you don't like and you say, well, that's not art. I can do this, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think this is something, one thing we should maybe discern is that, you know, art, the, the term art does need to come with I like it or is of exceptional value to me, right? Cool. So I think that's an important thing. And then, you know, there's a lot of things where we think, how do we recognize art in the wild, right? So how... Mm -hmm. How is it that we recognize something as art? And that, I think, is the best way to find out what actually we think art is, right? Yeah. I mean, it's not always... I mean, very often the way that I find out is I go into a museum, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> totally. I, I don't think that, you know, it's the museum that makes the art, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah. So one question that you might, building off of that, you said that there seems to be a distinction between art and non-art. So one way of getting at that would be like, do you think that there has to be some intention behind someone who is creating something and them calling it art to qualify? Is that kind of where like the pre-theoretical intuition is coming at from that distinction? I like that. I mean, it already, you know, shows this kind of closeness between art and cognition, <laughs> uh, but I actually don't think so. So I think art can be created by accident. Um, mm -hmm. I don't think that, I think, for example, there's a lot of, uh, I mean, in the in the process of creating art, I don't think that there's always the need to have cognition. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's there's a way in which you can create art, create art by you know just throwing dice mm -hmm. or you know letting something erode. 
in a very nice way or so. Yeah. So I think, um, I mean, what I would think is that there might be an, uh, an intention of creating art, but not necessarily an intention of creating specifically this way. Right. Yeah, yeah. So I think there is a way in which as an artist, you want to create something that is art when you're creating art, but it's not necessary that you're wanting to create very, that you have an intention for the very specific nitty gritty details yeah, yeah, yeah. of every brush stroke. And the, you know, there's a, I think there's a broad range in creating art where, you know, you're just letting go and yeah. you have the, the intention to start a process that is not in your intentional control. Yeah. So maybe we could, you know, <laughs> we could sharpen the point with an example or maybe make it more less uh -huh. abstract with an example. So um, take me painting um, a room. There's a right. bucket of paint next to me. And uh, accidentally, uh, I kick the bucket over and it creates um, kind of just splashes on the ground. Perhaps yeah. maybe accidentally there was a canvas there, you know. <laughs> the important thing is that it was an accident. I kicked it over. Um, yeah. I wasn't even... I was painting a room. Most people would say that painting a room is not, um, we may have an intuition that painting a room is not exactly uh, like painting a portrait or something like that. Mm. Um, now we have that one case in mind. Now imagine um, a similar case where I'm an abstract artist and I throw a bucket of paint onto a canvas and they create um, identical images. <laughs> now, on the one hand, we still have the intuition that the one instance, the first instance, the accident, accidental instance was right. not art. But the other one was art. But I think that goes to say that like just validates our intuition that that um, thought experiment can validate our intuition that there has to be some sort of intention behind um, a piece of artwork. Do you, would you agree with that? Um, I mean, I think that there should be some kind of intention between creating a piece of art. Yeah. Uh, but I don't think that the bucket being kicked over by accident mm -hmm rules out that whatever you're creating there is art right? uh -huh. i mean so i'm here's the thing right so i'm thinking when i'm thinking of art so for a long time i thought you know yes it's intention <laughs> and it's kind of masterfulness and everything yeah, yeah. that you normally think that my mom thinks should be art right? yeah, yeah and so there's this but then again i i you know that you see all these kind of dadaism stuff or you know yeah. objet trouvé where you have these you know um where you have somebody who's just you know exhibiting cloth hangers or yeah. you know a piss pot stuff yeah, yeah, like yeah. this right mm -hmm. and so i think there the artistic thing is the intention to guide your attention to how cool that thing is right yeah. how well designed is it is how how you know how you can interact with this right and so yeah. i think the same thing could happen with that by accident thrown over yeah. a bucket of paint right so so we are getting pretty so we're getting closer maybe to um, a better understanding of uh, what we say when we mean art. And it seems like the in, the intention is sufficient, but it's not necessary. Um, but one thing that you were pointing at, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, was that it seems that there has to be um, some display of it. Um, it has to be put up on a pedestal for other people to observe, <laughs> as it were. Um, is that kind of, uh, would that get you your necessary condition? Or would you still say that, you know, um, even that uh, could fail in a certain oh, wow. sense. I mean, like art that it's being created and then hidden from everybody. Exactly. So let's, so we can resort back to I mean, the, there's a, yeah. um, there's a Paul Auster uh, novel. I forgot this name, but it's about a guy who like 
made movies that yeah. are awesome but never mm-hmm. showed them to anybody <laughs> until after his death, right? So this might be a case that we could discuss, right? What's the, with these movies? Can yeah. they be art before they were <laughs> shown to somebody else? Yeah. So it seems like we have a case where the where we have the intention is there for the right, artwork to be right. created, but now we don't have it on display. So maybe we're actually, um, you know, we might have exhausted this conceptual analysis and we might, you know, have to take it that uh, there's this one kind of art where you intend to create something. And then there's another kind of way of making art where you're just pointing someone's attention to something that you find interesting. Right. I mean, it's lovely. It's a lovely idea to think that, you know, there could be this art that's being hidden away. (laughs) And And in some degrees, I think there are such cases right i mean think mm-hmm. of you know uh drawings made by michelangelo that he just never sell uh-huh. and never showed anybody until he died right and then they yeah, were yeah. accidentally found or stuff like this yeah, yeah so i i somehow still have this intuition that they can be art but yeah the question i have is, that intuition but, too, but yeah. i'm now in this point where you know but I can see them right <laughs> they are on the pedestal now they are on the pedestal how, oh, how was oh, it before yeah, yeah, yeah. right so you're almost as if you know, you want to say that they were so. Um, I hope this is because you know now yeah. I have the feeling now they are art because I can see them and they're awesome and they're wonderful and so I think well clearly they are art because now they are on the pedestal right and this makes me I think think that they were art before, before right? but it's unclear yeah because so, what yeah. it would be weird right so what <laughs> so for example how many people do I have to display it to right yeah 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 <laughs> would no, I myself yeah. be enough. Yeah. No, this is an interesting, um, this is an incredibly interesting topic. One, for the reason it gives you, it creates a philosophical puzzle. Hmm. You know, when uh, um, your example, I think Kafka, what were your examples? I'll use your examples. Oh, Paul Auster. I think it's called The Book of the Illusions. Where it Paul talks, Auster, right. Book of the Illusions. He has a character. Uh, he hides all these films from him. Right. Um, so uh, let's take that case and then let's say this director dies, but now his movies are released and a bunch of people can see him. Now, intuitively you want to say that they've always been art, but, um, because nothing changed because nothing, yeah, with the thing, but something did change. Uh, people now can see them. So maybe that, that might be a necessary condition in order for something to be art. It has to be displayed to more than one person, or there has to be some intersubjective thing going on. Or maybe it's like this, right? That, yeah, Maybe we're confusing what is art with how we recognize what is art, right? Okay, cool. So it could be that, you know, it was art all along, right? Yeah. But the only way in which we can find out that something is art is, well, the best way is that it's been displayed somewhere, right? Yeah, yeah. So we take an, uh, how we think we recognize what art is as a necessary condition of what art is. Great. That might be something that in other cases we don't allow, right? Yeah. So, um... And one way of putting this idea would be that we don't want to confuse um, the uh, metaphysical question, as it were. Right. What is art with the uh, epistemic question, question, how do we know it's art? Right, right. So, um, I mean, that might be a good move to pointing us into the direction that, you know, it's not going to be, you know, there are going to be some cases where the intention is enough. There are going to be other cases where it's insufficient, et cetera. So we might just be at the end of our conceptual analysis. But I might show you also that, you know, there's a lot of cognition on both ends, right? In, yeah. the, in the way that art is created. First of all, right, it has to be, uh, it has to be, sometimes it's done with intention. Sometimes it's just displayed with intention, right? Even if there were, there was no intention with creating it. Yeah. And on the other end, there's, you know, a lot of stuff with 
uh, art perception or art appreciation where a lot of cognition comes in, right? Yeah. Maybe we can talk a little bit about art appreciation and cognition. Okay. So we'll switch the um, conversation over. So, but before we do that, I would love to just how we're thinking intuitively of cognition, just for the sake of our listeners. <laughs> <All right. laughs> so they might be confused about this word, you know. Right. I don't think that there's any, I don't think it's a very, it's a word very commonly used in ordinary language is what I'm oh. saying. It sounds more like a theoretical term. Right. That philosophers may turn to. Um, so do you have uh, just... So there are a couple words floating around intention and cognition. How thinking. Do these, and thinking. <laughs> how do these uh, re- interrelate? So I think with all the kind of... So I think actually the, the most common way in which people think about cognition is when they're thinking about thinking. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think thinking is the closest that an ev- everyday layperson has towards yeah. you know, cognition. Cool. Um, beyond that, intention is really hard for a layperson to get a grasp around, right? Yeah. Um, and it's even worse if you're not just talking about intention people have, like, you know, goals people have when they're trying to do stuff, but also intentionality, right? Yeah. That the, your thoughts are about something. Yeah, 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 Which is really hard thing to grasp, right? Um, but I would also say that very often perception is part of cognition, or yeah, partly cognitive, right? That totally, yeah. Um, in order to see things, you have to, very often you have to categorize them, have to dissociate them from yeah. their background and all these kind of things. So there, I'd say, is a lot of cognition in that part. Yeah. So we kind of have something like, you know, thinking about X or thinking about Y. You know, there's right. this kind of, you know, idea that when you're thinking it's fixated on something... So when I'm thinking about my cat, it's yeah. about my cat. When I'm thinking about a conversation with Saucer, it's about a conversation with Sasha, et cetera. Right. So you wanted to talk about uh, the relationship between cognition and art so a- and uh, appreciation of art and right. cognition. Yeah. So here's one thing that I really find compelling. So there's a philosopher called Benson Nanai. Nanai? Nanai? I never know how to pronounce his name. And he's got a cool idea about the intersection between aesthetics and cognition. And that's, mm-hmm. um, he says, most questions in aesthetics are actually questions about how to guide attention, right? Yeah. And I think that's, to some degree, not a bad idea, right? Yeah. With putting things on a pedestal, I can make you attend to them, even if there are things that you've seen of every day, like, you know, a clothes hanger, right? Yeah, yeah. But just by putting them there, I can guide your attention to what that thing is what are the aesthetic properties of it so this is more of on along the lines of the appreciation idea how do we get one subject to appreciate another right um object and one way of doing that is just by directing attention to that object right but it's also i think part of the creation process mm-hmm. that uh you try to if you're an artist you're not just doing things willy-nilly Mm-hmm. Uh, or to some degree you are, but you know, you're also trying, if you're really trying to do something um, aesthetic, you're trying to guide, use some intuitive principles in which I can make you aware of this, right? Yeah. And, and somehow make you look at that, right? Yeah, and yeah. all the other stuff is part of that. So there's almost like this uh, kind of object mind relationship where when you're doing is you're like focusing towards like the object. I mean, you use the demonstrative that. Right. So there is obviously, <laughs> yeah. So can you just elaborate on that a little more, just for like a teeny bit before we close? Yeah, so um, 
so I think it's interesting. There are two ways in which you can focus attention, right? One yeah. is in art and one is just looking, making you look at things, right? Yeah. So yeah. the intentional uh, yeah. part of, you know, directing attention. Mm -hmm. um, I make you think of that, right? Yeah. Any kind of thing. Like, I don't know, a piss pot, um, the moon, uh, yeah, yeah. the Kennedy Association, uh -huh. uh, whatever you want, right? And the other thing is a very more technical way of uh, of somehow taking your uh, attention and manipulating it. And that's more prevalent, I think, in abstract art, right? Yeah. Or even figurative art, where by the composition of the figures and by the composition of whatever I am I'm have on canvas, for yeah. example, I try to steer you into some ways in which you want, where you want to look, right? Yeah. And um, I think that's a way in which a good artist, and here we are with the value again at the end, yeah, yeah, yeah. really is is trained of trying to grab your attention and make you focus on this thing on the canvas. And then a lot of time takes you, it's really hard to focus on anything else. So this um, uh, attention aspect of art seems really important for understanding art appreciation. But I wonder if it helps with our ontological question about what art is, because we agreed that you can have art mm -hmm. without having any viewer, but it seems like the ap appreciating art or you know, drawing someone's attention to art requires something intersubjective. Mm. Uh, that is something with two, at least two subjects. Right. So um, it's not so much that this is this is not going to help us in that realm, I guess. I don't know why I brought it back to that. But it, it is one interesting aspect of how you have this relationship between art and cognition. I mean, it could be that, you know, the subjects don't have to be, you know... They could be identical, right? Okay, so I can yeah. create art that I myself later find appealing because it draws my attention back to something, right? Yeah. I can I can read my own stuff like oh, yeah. I would from somebody else. So I think that's not something totally out. So I think you can create art yourself for yourself and for <laughs> nobody else. <laughs> okay. So yeah, I mean that. Aesthetic masturbation. Aesthetic, yeah. Good label. It would be an odd practice, but certainly it's certainly coherent. Yeah, it's a coherent idea. <laughs> right. Um. So the so the yeah so bringing the so we have a clear connection then between art and cognition with this kind of attentive aspect or drawing your attention to At least a piece one, of right? object. Yeah. I mean, they're probably. Um, but if that's true, there's a cool thing. Yeah. Right? So it could be that you're using this kind of way in which you're. Uh, your art, if art appreciation is really a strong uh, case in which, you know, what you need to do with art, and if it's mainly attention guiding, right? Yeah. It could be that you as the viewer are the one that's creating the art by being guided in your attention, right? Yeah. And it means that you could go through the world maybe and just constantly, just by letting your attention be, you know, grasped by the external world, cre create this art appreciation. <laughs> so, we, if, we, if there's no ontological, if we say that the ontological question is just totally silly and we never get necessary and sufficient conditions there, mm -hmm. then this would be the extreme opposite, right? The people who are creating art are not the artists. But They're, the viewer. Yeah. So you would have sort of an anti-realism about art, whereas as long as I focus my attention in the correct way, I can create, I can conceive of anything as art. So Wouldn't that be lovely? It would be lovely, but it would still... I think it would be counterintuitive, though, because we have a clear idea of when and, you know, this might be some this there might be sociological reasons for this, too. So 
Um, obviously, those have to be taken into account at some point. But when I walk into a museum, right, and I look at a um, at uh, a Jackson Pollock painting, right, you know, I really say that's art. You know, if anything <laughs> was art, that's art. Right. You know, and uh, uh, same thing goes for when I look at uh, anything like Da Vinci or, or you know, et cetera, uh -huh. et cetera. But when I walk into, when I'm walking down uh, 34th Street and I see a stop sign, you know, it never appears to me that, you know, that's art. It is kind of like the circumstances don't manifest themselves in the right way. Where even if I were to direct my attention towards it in a, some way, it might be difficult for me to communicate that with other people. But I think there's something there, right? I mean, in a in the case of the stop sign, you're also using the stop sign, right? Mm -hmm. You're not appreciating it for what it is. Yeah. Right? The same way in which, you know, there this there's this joke about a person, you know, always looking at the fire extinguisher in the museum and thinks, yeah. oh my God, this is so beautiful, <laughs> right? And so this as soon as you would say this is not something that I would use you can get into the stance of, yeah. you know, it's this kind of slight hesitation of interacting with the object in a usual way. I think that's part and part and parcel of how you can reach this art appreciation thing. And it's as soon as you're walking down 42nd Street or yeah. 43rd Street Third, yeah. and you're going to this stop sign and you're stopping. Yeah. <laughs> and not because you're struck by the beauty of the stop sign, right? But onto something you said earlier that I found pretty compelling was that it's it seems to be a you seem to be have to the job is made easier for you if the stop sign is in the museum. Right. Where someone has already directed your attention in the right way. <laughs> right. Whereas if but I understand your point that I can direct my attention, but it seems to be more it seems to be a clear case of art when someone has directed my attention to it. Right. Whereas it's less clear to me that when I direct my attention itself, right. I'm uh projecting art out into the world. I think I think that's probably an not a usual way to think about it, but I think it's the right way to think about it. Because I also think, you know, in art museums, there's a way in which other people display this art, right? In yeah. a very intentive way to guide your focus inside these, uh, you know, paintings, namely curators. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's also another way where we're very often looking through art creation, art yeah. creation by collecting, maybe. There's, yeah. I mean, so I'm, I think more and more convinced of this picture that of this anti-realist picture as you told it it's, yeah, it's yeah. an interesting idea i think no no it's incredibly interesting yeah i mean anytime you switch anytime you do the the switch from the world being the focal point to your mind being the focal point you're going to get a new perspective on something so i think that's valuable in itself thank you andrew that yeah. was a very nice conversation yeah thank you so much well all right <laughs> <laughs> In this Talk Popsy event, held in our tent in a park in Crown Heights, Brooklyn, we have two extremely competent philosophers having a conversation about the current topic, art and cognition. The resident philosopher Andrew Rubner from Rutgers and Sasha Benjamin Fink from the Otto von Gurich University in Magdeburg, Germany. This is different from our usual practice of having one philosopher and one non-philosopher so this conversation is able to tackle some more difficult problems regarding the topic. I hope listeners give this a repeat listening, as many of the ideas will take a couple of times to digest. The conversation begins by tackling the distinction between something being art and something not being art, 
and Andrew posits that art seems to require some kind of intention. In other words, a person intends to make a piece of art. Intentionality. Sasha counters a bit and laughingly points out that even though that definition is pretty good, especially as it gives a connection between art and cognition, he thinks ultimately the answer is no, that cognition and intention isn't required. Art, he thinks, can be created by accident. There is, therefore, not always the need to have cognition. Sasha seems to be thinking here of the way that art is a kind of letting go, a willingness to accept the direction things have gone. This makes it different from the focused, purposeful intentionality of many of our activities. In his words, quote, you have to have the intention to start a process that is not under your intentional control, end quote. Andrew then gives a thought experiment. Imagine someone is painting a room and accidentally kicks over a bucket of paint. And also, just imagine, there was coincidentally a canvas nearby and the paint went on the canvas. Now, take a second scene and imagine an artist kicking a bucket of paint onto a canvas. These two aren't the same. The second one, he says, is intentional. Sasha counters again and argues that the situation of the person painting the room and kicking over the bucket of paint doesn't necessarily rule out that it's art. Think of all the examples of someone exhibiting a piss pot or a coat hanger or anything. The artist is, in all of these cases and in all other cases of art, doing the singular job of pointing our attention to it and saying, wow, look how cool this is. Art is, he argues, the, quote, intention to guide your attention, end quote. So he thinks the same thing can happen with the bucket of the paint example. This is a fascinating question. What is it that art is doing? Well, it sounds plausible at this point that pointing out something is what art is doing. There is, Andrew points out, a problem here. For if art is pointing something out, the question now is this. It looks like something has to be put on display in order for it to be art. The role of the viewer, in other words, has become essential for it to be art. What's happened here in this conversation between Andrew and Sasha is the crux of doing philosophy. And it is also the crux of having conversations in general. A plausible idea was rendered. Art is pointing a viewer's attention to something. But then the consequences of that very plausible, unattractive thought is that art can't be art without the viewer. So it has the viewer who is constituting the art as art and not the artist. This means that if someone makes art, but it is never viewed by anyone, then it simply isn't art. Not the conclusion they were looking for. They both pull back a moment from that spot that they've dug and Sasha says, maybe we are confusing what is art from how we recognize art. And Andrew counters, concurring, we don't want to confuse the metaphysical with the epistemic. The rest of their peregrination through their ideas and the implications of those ideas brings them three times to the very fascinating ramifications of the notion of that, T-H-A-T. First of all, 
Cognition is often thought of as thinking about something, thinking about thinking, thought about thought. I am thinking about that. Secondly, the notion of that comes up also when they switch the conversation over to appreciation of art, and Sasha points to Ben's Nanay's argument that questions in aesthetics are about how to guide attention. Look at that. And then finally, the notion of that arises when Andrew says that this view of art is anti-realist in that it is the object-mind relationship. The art is found in the that that is in the mind of the viewer, not in the object itself. It is a switch from the world being the focal point to the mind being the focal point. The conversation ends with some agreement on the viewer in the role of creating, in part, the art, by allowing their attention to be grasped. In their friendly, pugilist back and forth, Sasha seems to be thinking of it in an anti-realist way, whereas Andrew seems to perhaps want a more realist account, where the ontological fact of the artwork as an external reality is guaranteed. Sasha, though, seems willing to argue that it is the attitude of singular attention to a phenomenological experience that constitutes art. Andrew counters that if that's true, it's a clear case when the phenomenological experience, say a stop sign, is put into the museum and your attention is already directed there by others. They agree on that, and the conversation ends with the laughter of conviviality a close to perfect conversation.